Welcome to For the Love Podcast with best-selling author Jen Hatmaker. Come on in and join us for a chat with Jen and friends about all the things we love. Now, here's Jen. Hey guys, it's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you join me on the For the Love Podcast. We are wrapping up a series that I have loved and loved and loved and loved. I loved it so much that I extended it by five extra episodes. Um, We've been having amazing guests on the For the Love of Moxie series, just women who are brave and smart and interesting and funny, and they've built amazing things and they have overcome and survived. And today is absolutely no exception. So, you know, one thing that we do for the podcast is we, we crowdsource an episode per series. Now, since I doubled down on this series, we crowdsourced too. And so today is our second crowdsourced episode. I basically went to the tribe and said, guys, for the love of Moxie, tell me who among us has got an amazing story. Who's got a lot of pluck? And the tribe spoke in mass and said, we've got a gal that you've got to talk about. You've got to talk to. We've got Chrissy Kelly on today. And and let me just tell you, you're going to love this girl. So Chrissy's story caught our attention because... Like maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of us listening, she said um, she was living what she would have considered a pretty comfortable, pretty blessed, kind of simple life, um, kind of check the box life, if you will, until just about six years ago. And so um, six years ago, Chrissy's almost three-year-old son at the time was diagnosed with autism. And so as it does, when you receive a diagnosis that you are not prepared for, that you did not expect, that you're not sure what to do with, kind of everything felt crashy, like crashing down. And then not two years later, her second son, Parker, was also diagnosed with autism. And so her sort of battle and story through the the pain and the grief and the disappointment, and then the rising and the hope and the recovery and the restoration is pretty amazing, pretty life-changing. And so she's going to share that with us today. So whether or not you've got a kid on the spectrum or you're affected by autism at all, it doesn't matter. You need to keep listening because so much of her story is universal. It's about what to do when we don't get what we expected. What, how do we finally release what we thought um, and embrace what we have? So whether that's in parenting or in life, I promise you, you will find a lot in her story that applies to yours as well. So Chrissy's also a writer. She lives in the Central Valley in California. She's written a book called Life with Grayson and Parker. And she has a website by the same name where she blogs about her experiences and what she's learning and raising the boys and um, being a a mom of, of kids with autism and more and faith, and all kinds of stuff. So um, this conversation is going to be really meaningful to you, no matter whether that feels like something that connects to you or not. I promise you, you should stick around and listen, because um, I found myself just like nodding my head off during our conversation. You're really going to love her. So you guys, I'm so glad to welcome Christy Kelly to the show today. Okay, so without further ado, you guys, I'm so, so glad to welcome um, Christy Kelly to the show. Thanks, Christy, for being here. Thanks for having me, Jen. I'm so excited to be able to share my story with you and with all of your listeners. Oh, absolutely. It's funny. You know, this is our one of our crowdsourced episodes, which I love um, because within our own tribe, we have 
enough amazing women to fill 7,000 podcasts for the rest of time. So, you know, I just knew going into this podcast world that I definitely wanted to have people from my own group um, on the show. And so it was great. Your people really love you because when I said, okay, everybody, who needs to be from within us, from within our tribe on the Moxie series, you know, your people came through for you. And so it was through there that I sort of tracked through to your space and to your site and to your story. And I was like, this is a no brainer. This is so easy. I'm so thankful that you um, said yes. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't even a question. So let me just, we're, we're, I'm probably introducing you to most of my listeners. And so um, I, I, you're ob- you obviously exhibit Moxie. I mean, this is this is part and parcel of who you are and how you are living your life. And so, um, I, I want. If, can you just give everybody the the highest thirty five thousand foot view of kind of your story? Just touch on it, and then we'll come back and dig in, just so they kind of know who you are and why you are so great for this series. Okay. Um, you know, when I reached out to you and shared that I would love to be on your podcast as well. Um, I shared that I had been living a blessed life. It was kind of a check, check the box kind of life. Um, life was easy, but I didn't really know it until retrospect. Uh, yes. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And when I was 25, I moved to Los Angeles. It was for a boy. It's always for a boy. Isn't it always? Yes. for acting. And they rarely stick. <laughs> this one They're usually stick. in the rear view mirror, those boys. <laughs> yes. And so, I said, I'm not moving back to Missouri until I at least try to make it here on my own. So I got a six month lease and I ended up staying ever since. And so I didn't actually meet my husband, very different from your story, but until I was 30. And yeah. we lived in Los Angeles, we had a ocean view condo. We both were in pharmaceutical sales. I was Living making the dream. figures. Yeah. And something was missing and I wasn't exactly sure that it was something missing. I thought it was just like a hole in my life. Um, or that I wasn't doing it right, or that I was enjoying it wrong. And at 32, I decided that I was ready to be a mom. And so I got pregnant with my first son, Grayson. And uh, that was the beginning of realizing there are layers to this world that I just didn't even know existed. And um, the first probably four weeks that Grayson was here on Earth, I, I was awful at it. Uh, I was yes. so bad. I was. I wish more moms would tell the truth about that. <laughs> I'm oh, serious. Oh, it'll come naturally. They said. Oh, oh no. Oh no, no, right. no. Like Jen, I was petrified. I was scared to hold the thing. Yeah. I was so scared that I took my good, easy life, and just ruined it. And that I would look at Grayson, and he looked so out of place too. Like I was imagining, right. he was in this warm, safe, amazing place, and now it's loud and scratchy and itchy and overwhelming sure. too. And so I remember he was about six weeks old, and I was rocking him, and suddenly, in that very instant, every ounce of that fear instantly turned into love. And I started to sob, like a whole body sob. His onesie was wet. And I said, Hmm. I don't know what I'm doing, but you're so important that I'm going to figure it out. And I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. And and we're going to make this okay. And I just said, you know what? To the husband, I'm not going back to work. I can't go to work. Oh, yeah. Surprise. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, surprise. I am done working. And no, we can't afford to live in Los Angeles on one income. 
So then that's when we moved to the Central Valley of California. No ocean here. And I really redefined myself as a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Listen, I remember the moment. I remember where we were driving in the car um, when I was pregnant with my second. I went back to work after I had my first son. I remember I was pregnant with my second baby, and my husband was a student pastor at the time. We made like 12 cents an hour. Okay. And I was a teacher. And I remember saying... I think that I'm not going to go back to work. I I think I'm going to stay home and just raise the babies. <laughs> he right. was like yeah. he was like is this is this is this real? Is this okay? All is this right. a joint decision? Okay. So let's just recalibrate our life. I mean, I, I just, I know exactly that moment where I just kind of made the same decision um, for that little season that that was a choice I was going to make. So, so let's go back to that time. So tell us about that, that specific season, that time leading up to Grayson, your first son, we'll get to your second one here in a minute, but Grayson's diagnosis. Can you, um, can you tell us even what even led you to have any of this checked out? What, what were you seeing? What was going on at home? What, what were you seeing in your son, um, that sort of got you to that first big milestone? That's a great question. Um, so, Grayson's about a year old and I get pregnant with Parker. So I'm at the end of my pregnancy and Grayson is about not quite two and he's not really talking. He doesn't call us mom or dad. Um, He makes eye contact, but it's kind of fleeting. And sometimes when we call his name, I could be five inches away from him and he wouldn't look at me. He would look through me like I was a ghost. Mm -hmm. And I knew he could hear, though, because no matter where he was in the house, if I turned on the TV, it made this little chime noise, he mm-hmm. would come running. So ah, all these yep. things that I just couldn't Google, because I'm Googling, I'm Googling autism even, and I'm thinking, well, he's affectionate, and he lets me cover him with kisses, and he comes to me when he's hurt, so no, no, we're good. Yeah. And so... I would compare every day at the park or anywhere we went with other kids, and I always had an excuse for why Grayson wasn't doing something someone else was doing. Sure. And so at one, one evening, literally just a couple of weeks before I gave birth, my husband and I had talked about, is it strange that he doesn't say mom and dad, you know, it's our firstborn and I don't know, you know, he'll learn eventually. And I just talked to so-and-so who said that their kid didn't talk till they were four. And now he's like the president of the United States. So, right. Exactly. We'll always look sideways to figure out what's going on in our own life. And you can find somebody ahead of you. You can find somebody behind you, but it's funny. You had something in you that knew though. There is your mom instinct knew. But I also spent so much time in a little house called denial. And so Ah, it was so easy to, to talk yourself out of anything. Sure. And so this night, my husband actually says, something's wrong with Grayson. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were sitting there fully pregnant. I could barely breathe because I had so much heartburn. And this is the last thing I want to talk about. And I get mad at him. What do you mean something's wrong with Grayson? And he said, he doesn't like to walk on grass. And I said, okay, that's weird. That's not even a thing. And he said, he's fascinated with water. I'm like, next you're going to say he likes toys. And that's weird. Like this is the, this, I'm not dealing with this now. I said, if you want to go find a place that we can go, 
and check it out. That's fine. I'll make an appointment with our pediatrician. I don't even know what I would make the appointment for. Like my husband thinks it's weird that my son won't walk on grass. Is right. That a thing? Exactly. <laughs> and right. so I was so mad at him. I said, this is the last thing that I want to talk about, but I'll make the appointment. Okay. And so we do. And I make a list of all the words Grayson saying and his resume, his word me, resume. Yeah. Uh-huh. There were 25 words on there. They were approximations, they call them, because it really didn't sound like the word, but I knew Grayson speak. And so the pediatrician said he's probably going to be fine, but we should keep an eye on it because he is at the lower end of language. And so that was like what I needed to go see. Everything's good. And so a couple of weeks later, my husband said, I, I still, I have to push this. And so the first night I came home from the hospital with brand new baby Parker, I was petrified on how Gray was going to react. Mm. And he didn't pay any attention to him. He wasn't mm. upset, but he also wasn't excited or curious. Um, and the first night I went to kiss him goodnight after I got back from the hospital, he smacked me. And he mm. no longer came to me for anything. I didn't exist. Wow. And I was, and this is weeks at a time. And I was so confused. And you know, like the mom things, you're talking to your other moms. Like, is this, was this normal when you brought home a second baby? Uh-huh. And everything's normal when it comes to parenting. Like you're uh-huh. going to find someone who's that was normal for. It's so true. And so I'm like, okay, good. It's normal. Um, at the time we set up uh, an assessment with the regional center most states have like a regional center that's a nonprofit that are there to help people with disability or suspected disability. And what they do is they screen children. One of the things that they do is they screen children to see if they're at risk for autism. Okay. They don't like to diagnose until three years of age. But if you fail these screeners, they will, the early intervention for every state will make sure that you get what you need to treat the child as if. So they will get the speech therapy and whatever different accommodations that are needed. So my husband takes Grayson to this assessment and I am at home with my brand new baby. And he comes back and he said, he, he failed the assessment. And I kind of just thought he had a speech delay, like literally Mm -hmm. Jen, it changed daily. And I knew that I... I knew we had a year ahead of us before they would even give us anything definitive. Sure. So we just kind of went along as if he did have autism. We started early intervention preschool. We started speech therapy. Okay. Um, and Parker was a newborn. So the three of us traveled around just like I'd said to newborn baby Grayson. We're figuring this out as we go along. Mm. So are you accepting it at this point? Are you... Are in your mind, because this is a super overwhelming moment with a new baby and a two-year-old who maybe is autistic and may, you're not sure. Um, are, are you? What are you? What was your mental loop that moment? Were you thinking, "We're going to power through this. I'm going to do these early interventions, and we're going to push him through the other side." Can you remember what you were thinking during that season? <laughs> Heck yeah! Okay, so when I do something, I am what I call a life enthusiast. I am going to do it full throttle. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to get a label maker out and I'm going to get folder files and like, we're going to do this. So what I'm going to do is just get him all the supports he needs. He's going to be talking. I'm going to go back to all these early intervention folks who are amazing by the way, but I'm going to be like, see you later suckas. Like 
I was, everybody was wrong. And thanks for your hard work and for your help, but we got this taken care of. So that's what we're going to do. That was a really good plan. (laughs) Yeah. I really like that. I've made some similar plans in my life. They're all garbage. They're in the dumpster. Absolutely. Um, But I am, I have a similar, um, mindset. I am dog on a bone when I want to be and certain that I can just by will and grit, um, make a circumstance be what I want it to be. So everything you're saying feels so familiar to me. So fast forward just a hair, let's get him closer to the three-year mark. At what point do you receive like a confirmed, like bona fide diagnosis? Grayson has autism. Okay. So there's two two steps in this. Number one, when I was full throttle, like everyone and their grandmother tells you what the next cure to autism is. Like we need to try these essential Uh oils. You need to try this diet. You need to do this. Oh my gosh. Yes. We did it all. We went to fancy doctors in Santa Monica. We did everything we could even think of. Um, I researched it nonstop. Um, I finally had to stay away from chat rooms. Nothing good comes from that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. I would Google until my eyes bled and then I would wake up and I would do it all over again. And so at one particular point, Parker was four months old and Gray was about two and a half. And I'm still living in this gorgeous land called denial, but I have a purpose. So I feel purposeful. I feel like I'm making progress. Grayson's making small strides. And on one of my Google binges, I came across a checklist for autism that was very different than all the other ones I had taken. Mm. And what they had said was... A, does he ever bring anything to show you and to get your attention? Hmm, Interesting. And I see that that's a social skill. That's share in the joy of an object or I want that or that's neat or that's scary. Uh And another thing he did, he would always look at things from like a centimeter away, close up. Okay. And I thought that was a Grayson thing. And now I know it's not. It's a spectrum thing. So I so saw that. And you'd it's never so seen either of those on a checklist. Those no, were no, new yes. red flags. Yeah. And so I remember I was wearing a green hooded sweatshirt and I was in my bed and Parker was napping and Grayson was in therapy in the house. And it was probably the most gutted mm-hmm. I've ever been. Wow. Um, just, Even after all that work you'd logged. Yes. Yeah. That was the moment. That was the moment that a door to reality opened. Yeah. Like from denial to reality. And it was too much at once. It was way too much. And I sobbed. I sobbed and I sobbed and I I sobbed for the future. Sure. And for the past of not knowing. Um, And I just, that was the first moment I kind of knew. Actually, I did know. I knew that was going to be our reality. And thankfully, or I don't know if it was thankfully or not, but I was able to go back and forth to talking myself out of it a hundred times from in the next six months. So fast forward to diagnosis day. Grayson's almost three. And I really want this one specific doctor to meet us for the assessment. Okay. And so they say, okay, you need to be available at this time this day, that's the only way you're going to be able to see him. So I'm like, we're going to make this happen. And so I take Grayson and I make sure he wears a shirt with his name on it because I wanted the doctor to remember that he was a little boy who loved trucks and playing outside. And he wasn't just a name on a chart. And this psychologist, he was 
a really amazing man. I told him, if I had met you in any other circumstance, I would really love you, I think. Uh, <laughs> he like had a mustache like my dad yeah. and he felt like home yes. and he was just so smart and he asked the best questions and I filled out, you know, all these empirically validated little screener tests because most of the diagnostic testing for autism, there's no blood tests, there's no labs, it's um, evaluations and assessments. And so there was, you know, he tried to get Grayson to put together a puzzle, a very simple three-piece puzzle, and he couldn't do it. And I got on the floor. I'm like, if I, if I, he's using too many words, if I just explain it to Grayson, mm, like he's going to get it. Yes. Like oh up until gosh. the last second, so I am trying to take it. control <laughs> of this bus that is about to crash. And so my husband travels for work. And so he was gone, but I had heard that it took the doctor weeks, sometimes even months to issue a report. So I'm thinking, okay, I can motor through this. Sure. It's going to be like two hours. It's going to be hard. This is all stuff Grayson doesn't like either, being forced to sit, being uh, evaluated and sitting in a small room. But like I can motor through that and then leave and, and lose my marbles. But I can handle the two hours. So as he's sitting there, he, I said, so how long does this take for you to issue a report or to let us know what, what's going on with Grayson? And he said, well, I can tell you today. Oh, And he said, wow. but if you don't want, I won't tell you today because your husband's gone. And for a moment, I was scared to death. He I wouldn't bet you tell were. Me. Yeah. I, I was like, if he knows, I'm his mom. I must know right now. And I said, listen, I've got superpowers. I can handle whatever you say to me. And I'm ready to hear it. And so he looked at me with the kindest eyes. And he said, Chrissy, your son meets the diagnostic criteria for autism. But I want to tell you, I don't meet a lot of parents like you and everything you're doing and everything that you've done, he's going to be good. He's going to have oh. a good life. Oh, I can ball. Oh, and Jen, honestly, I got out a pen to take notes and I looked at the notes later. They were squiggles. I don't remember anything. I remember the air went out of the room and I remember my teeth were like tingling. And I remember I was talking to myself saying, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention. And I just couldn't because before my eyes, it was like, Grayson's not getting married. Grayson's not going to college. I, Grayson's not going to play baseball. Like everything that I had dreamed into existence, autism edited out of my life in an instant. And he explained it so well, John. He said, basically to get an autism diagnosis, someone needs to have core deficits in three areas, communication, socialization and behavior and behavior isn't just like good behavior, bad behavior. It's routine. Are you flexible? Sure. It's, are you able to sit and learn? It's, are you able to learn how to brush your teeth? Like all those things. And he said, Grayson's going to get help in those three areas for the rest of his life. And it's going to make a difference. Oh man. I love him. I wish he was I my neighbor. Him. I loved him. Uh, let me ask and you this question. Cause we're, we're going to we're going to get down to the rest of There's more. There's more listeners. There's more. <laughs> Hang on. But I want to press pause right at this moment in your story because um, I, I'm thinking as you're talking about how many other parents have, be it through autism or being on the spectrum or any number of circumstances, um, any number of unexpected um, changes or scenarios that present themselves in parenting, um, find themselves in a place where they do not have 
with a child in any way what they expected. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had a story written, you know, yes. it's the story we've, most of us have bought into. Um, and then either biologically or neurologically or even circumstantially, something happens. Um, all of a sudden they find themselves on the outside of their story. Um, I, can you just talk for one second? Cause we're going to come back to it because you've just, you're, you're on the Moxie series for a reason. There's a beautiful rising to this, mm. to this mm-hmm. trajectory, but can you talk for just one minute to the woman or the man listening who finds himself in a parenting space where they are you they're they're in the teeth tingling i can't read the squiggles on the paper my i i can't breathe i am they're in shock they're in grief um they are they don't know what the next step is going to look like as their dreams have dissolved and they haven't yet built a new one um can you talk to a person in that space just for that moment um, how would you advise them? How would you lead them? What would you say to that mom sitting there with her her dreams in shreds in her hands? Yeah. You know, a lot of times people say, what's your advice for whether it be autism or like you said, any life circumstance? Yeah. And I always say, I'm not going to give you any advice because your story is going to be very specific to you and your precious baby. And like, as far as like, you need to try this therapy or this or this diet or like, mm -mm, let's throw all that aside and let's just sit here for a minute because what we really need to do is mourn that life, that story. Thank you for saying that. I think we're really bad at grief. Really bad. We need to motor through, you know, like you, like you said, like we're, we can fix this. I'll stay up all night and I'll fix it. And this was like the first thing I couldn't fix. And so I would say, let's just sit with this pain Yeah, and let's cry and let's do whatever we need to do. Because if you don't mourn whatever story you had originally written, you're not going to be able to create a new one. That's really good. And that doesn't, that's not, uh, there's nothing wrong with you listeners, if you are in the grief space, there is, that's real. That's a, that's a loss um, of what you expected or what you hoped for. And it doesn't make you weak or shallow or any of that. If you're in that little season and, and it is, I believe short, I believe we are incredibly resilient and able to sort of pick up those threads and weave them back together into something beautiful. But um, and, and I think it's good for us, too, to remember as we're listening to your story, Chrissy, to let our friends grieve sometimes. Mm-hmm. I bet your people try to hustle you through it, too. I've done that. I've been on the receiving end and the giving end of that pressure to like, OK, well, let's make a plan. Let's let's get it on paper. Let's you know, let's get some steps and some systems and some programs and we're going to figure. And, and there's a place for that. But Absolutely. I think yeah. I think it's a discipline to offer to the people in our lives, our communities, our friends and our family members, a little bit of room to just be sad, um, to just grieve and mourn a little bit and sit with the weight of the loss before hustling them through to the program. Absolutely. Yep. Hey guys, just a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just want to tell you one quick little offer um, that our friends over at audible.com have for you, my listeners. So this is what Audible's offering you, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Just to give you the chance to check out their services if you don't already love them. They're amazing. Um, you're going to love Audible. You can get a free audiobook just for trying it out. You can check out 
my books over there if you want them. I recorded them both myself. It's like me reading to you. You could listen to the last one, which is For the Love, or the latest one, which is of Mess and Moxie. And if not those, there are so many other titles available over there. Um, and you could listen to any one of them for free. So here's what you do. To download your free audiobook today, you just go to audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker. That simple. Audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker for your free audiobook. Hope you love it. So I want to come back to your story because so this is where you're at. You've got a legit diagnosis at this point. Um, can you tell us, can you explain to everybody sort of what came next, specifically with your second son? Okay, so that moment I had told you about when I was when I first had that door open to reality and and had the first inkling my son is going to receive an autism diagnosis. I also looked up the prevalence of autism in siblings because I'm thinking this doesn't happen like twice in one family, right? Like that. What are what's Parker's future going to look like? And so I saw that. The overall prevalence of autism is one in 68 in the general population. Mm, uh, it's one lot. in five. It's it's definitely getting much more prevalent, um, but it's one in five for a sibling. So the odds are significantly higher. And I, I think this is an area of life that Moxie absolutely came into play because at the time Parker was four months. I knew I wouldn't see anything until he was probably 15 months, because now I had an eagle eye. I knew what to look for. But from four months to 15 months, I had this talk with myself. You will not waste his babyhood analyzing him every second of the day, checking his development, seeing if he's pointing. Like, you will not waste this most precious, most hardest time in parenting on his future, because it does not exist. Hmm. And so... There were days that I struggled with that. I would say, Michael, I called Parker's name four times. He didn't look. You know, so sure. I would I did not do this perfectly, but that was my commitment. And sometimes I had to make that commitment every morning when I woke up. Today I will focus on today. Yeah. And Parker was very different. Um, mm. his eye contact was different. His communication was different. Uh, but I feel like I always knew. I just did always you? knew. Yeah, mm-hmm. from that that green sweatshirt moment where I, I ended up wearing that sweatshirt for like four days and I couldn't function and I couldn't Mm -hmm. eat. And I was nursing Parker and I had no idea how I was making milk because Mm -hmm. I felt dead inside. And I really was able to bottle up all that stuff, put it in a box, put it on a shelf and say, we're going to deal with you when Parker's 15 months old. And so when he was his first birthday, started to get little, little clues, not curious about strangers, not yes. scared of them either, mm. not excited about them, just a, a lot of red flags and uh, not talking, not calling us mom or dad. And so we had him screened um, as we did with Grayson this first time around. And this time I went with him. I wasn't there for Grayson's because Parker was just right. weeks old. Mm-hmm. And we started on The funny thing is, it was about probably uh, 20 months later. So I had started to heal, but there was this scar that just, I had to rip it all open. I bet you did. And things I had forgotten about and things that I thought I had mourned and was done with, 
Um, rose back up. Rose back up. I call mm-hmm. it stepping on like shards of glass. Once I broke this, um, this pitcher of lemonade in the kitchen and glass went everywhere. And so for like a week, we were super cautious and, you know, vacuumed and mopped and swept and swept every day and wore shoes in the kitchen and we were good. And like a few weeks later, I walked in the kitchen and I got cut on a shard of glass that I thought was gone. Yeah. And so those shards of glass come up in life yeah, where you think you got rid of the entire mess. And then one tiny thing makes you think that you regress. Like I never healed. I will not, right. I'm not okay. Like, and so I, I, I came upon a few shards of glass. Hmm. Um, and then I just, like I said, I kind of always knew. So I knew, I knew we were going to go to the assessment. I knew they were going to call my pot black. And I knew that I was going to have two boys with autism. And so sure enough, eventually, um, Parker gets a diagnosis as well, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. So, so here you are, you've got two boys at the time. How old was Parker when he was pretty formally diagnosed? Well, he started all the interventions at like 19 months. Okay. So you were kind of starting early with him too. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you've got these two boys, they're under five. Um, and they are both diagnosed at this point with, with autism, which is certainly not what you expected. I mean, this is not what you s- thought what your motherhood journey was going to look like, certainly. And so I, I, I'm thinking of how many of us have sat in that exact space, um, maybe with different circumstances, but super similar perspective. And, um, it's so tempting to me to despair um, or we've had some stuff with kids too. You know, my youngest two are adopted and, um, and, and they learn differently and their trauma is invisible, but incredibly present. Mm-hmm. And, um, so a lot of things are not atypical and what looks one way on the outside isn't necessarily how to parent them or how to teach them or how to socially, and it's just, it's, it's, there's landmines everywhere and so, true. so many landmines and, um, sometimes in that moment, the temptation to, to lose our faith in God or in fairness or in just, just in injustice, um, you know, that one family would have to take so much on just to have two, two sons diagnosed, um, with autism. So let me ask you this, after you sort of sifted, you got out of the green sweatshirt eventually, yes. um, can you even point in that maybe more than one thing, it may have been a process, however you want to answer it, but what sort of snapped into place for you when you realized what, what happened, what switch flipped when you said, you know what, I, I cannot change, I cannot change this diagnosis for either of my sons, but I can change how I respond to it. Like, did you, how did you, how did you find your way onto that pavement? So good. Okay. So there's two parts to this. Um, First of all, I just remember vividly walking into Grayson's assessment at the regional center I had mentioned, and the entire outside of the building was mirrors. And of course, we were in a hurry and dropping things and just an absolute mess walking in there. Um, and I just remember us walking out, and Grayson was fascinated by sliding doors. And we just sat there for a moment, and he watched the automatic doors open and close. And I caught our reflection in the mirrors. And I was shocked that we still looked exactly the same because our whole life had changed. And I took a picture of that mirror and of us because I knew one day I would look back at that day and be in a totally different headspace. 
And up until then, my entire mantra was like, we're going to beat this. We're going to fix this. We're going to change this. And that was the day I realized it didn't work and it didn't happen. And I didn't stop him from getting an autism diagnosis. And so Jen, it was so funny because I said, okay, well, I couldn't change the fact that he had autism. So I'm going to change the world. Oh, like, well, I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, and I thought changing the world was yes. going to be easy. Sure. Like, oh, this is great. I cannot wait to start on my first list. Oh, yes. And so good, good, good. That was my first kind of flip, flip flop of the brain. Here's my second one. And it's one of the most sacred moments of my life. Um, we live by the San Joaquin River. Mm-hmm. And with Grayson and with Parker, I kind of was living this parallel universe life where they made eye contact and we went to birthday parties and they actually had a fun time. We didn't have to leave. And, um, they would ask me funny questions and I would repeat the funny stories they told me and they would ask for pancakes and you know, this, the life that I had thought I would have, I constantly had this loop running of my parallel life. Hmm. And I was, I was, pissed. I was pissed. I felt like somebody took away what I thought motherhood was going to be for me. And one day I woke up and I thought about my parents. My parents have been married for 50 years and they're amazing people. And I wondered, did they ever wish I was something else? What if they wished I was something else every single day? Oh, that's devastating. Devastating. What if they wished I was a better cook? I'm not a good cook. What if my husband was constantly wishing, oh, Chrissy, if only she was taller. I'm only 5'2". That would be, there's no greater pain than being misunderstood for who you fundamentally are. What an insight. What? Jen, it was, it was good because it absolutely changed how I think about everything. But it was so painful that I had been doing that. And you know what? I forgive me for that. That's yes. where I needed to be then. You know? Grace. But Grace. I said... I, I want to take the boys today to the San Joaquin River and I want to take off our shoes and I want to walk through the river and I want this to be their new baptism. Yes. Oh my gosh. These are the boys that I had, not the boys that I daydreamed into existence. These are the boys that God gave me and by golly, are we going to celebrate them exactly the Mm, way they are? I just cry my eyes out. Oh, Jen. And it just, it was so, God was all there, all there the whole time. All the times I thought he forgot about us. He mm. was there crying too. I said that day, those daydreams have to stop. You know, yeah. I get a hit. You get a hit when you have them. Ooh, golly. Yes. Yeah. And then you feel awful. And I yeah. said, I just need to stop it. That's good. So you just, you let go of what you expected and you embraced what you had. Absolutely. It's gorgeous. And your sons are gorgeous. Thank and they're you. beautiful and you've got a beautiful life and a beautiful mm-hmm. family. So I, um, I, I am so glad that you've shared this much of your story up until this point, because it's all a necessary part of it. I, you couldn't just get to that river moment. You couldn't, you had right. to have the green sweatshirt days and You're so right. you had to have the teeth tingly days. Like you had to have those. That's part of the deal. And so I think sometimes we look at other people's stories on step 12, mm-hmm. when we're still back at step two, going, why can't I be that joyful? You know, she's made her peace. She's figured it out. She's decided what her new... And I just think there is 
a grace for the process that um, in parenting in general, listen, there are, even in the most neurotypical ways, parenting is going to throw you so many curveballs. Like, I know this now because I've got college students and high school students and <laughs> and, and just, I also had a, a certain path that's going to go like this, 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 and this. We're going to put in these, 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 and these ingredients, and then life will spit us back out kids who do this, 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 and that. Like, we had a formula. Oh, and yeah. so there is just a truth that sometimes dealing with suffering or pain or shock or confusion or failure or whatever whatever, it, it requires this readjustment and there's grace for that. And I, I hope everybody receives that from your story today, that no matter where they're at on their sort of parenting story, that what they're feeling today is okay. Um, because the good news is why I love putting somebody like you in front of everybody is because you show us what's possible and you show us a true reflection of what it looks like to go through the steps, to grieve and to, to, to deny and to accept and finally find joy. So going back into your story, you started building your new normal, right? You said, that's it. We're walking through the river. This is the new baptism. Um, this is what we have. So specifically in terms of autism and kids on the spectrum, which are, I mean, I cannot throw, I can throw a rock and hit a dozen people I know with kids somewhere on the spectrum. This is a really common story. Um, and even outside of that, I, uh, I have three times as many whose kids just are not typical learners um, for a variety of reasons. And so you have a lot to offer all of us. But um, what were some resources that you started tapping into or, or people that were really key to supporting you during that season? How did you rely on them? How did you find them? Who were they? What did you start learning? You know, I started learning that there were kind of two ways to look at this. We could look at our kids who aren't typical learners as like broken normals, Mm. or we could look at them as their own selves. And the movement is kind of called like neurodiversity. Like where instead of saying, okay, this is how we teach typical learning, like typical learners. So let's modify it and then let's do this. And then let's do that for kids with autism Mm. or whatever that specific thing might be. Okay. Um, and, but there's also people who look at autism in a very empowering way. And it is, these learners are very unique. Hmm. A lot of teaching kids who learn differently and a lot of parenting kids who learn differently is the opposite of what you might expect. Hmm. How Um, so? Explain what you mean. It's like one of the things, um, if a child does something for attention, you are supposed to ignore them. So that goes against, it's counterintuitive to anything I thought I had learned about parenting. If Grayson is, is you know, hitting me or throwing something, I would say, you know, you got to quit that. Like, no, no hitting, no throwing. Well, with when it comes to behavior, and this is behavior, it's highly studied for, this is for everyone, but it's heavily applied in children who learn differently. So a child who does a lot of things for attention, you actually withdraw that attention. You stop feeding that behavior. And so we kind of had to relearn everything we thought you would know about parenting. Um, So I found an amazing speech therapist who kind of had that mindset. And also the mindset, I remember she told me, um, learning should look like joy, even at, Mm. you know, three and four years of age. I love that approach, period. Yes, absolutely. Like play. I still feel like I'm when I'm learning about something I'm so passionate about, it feels like play, like grown-up sure. play. Um, 
And so she helped and we, that kind of helped how I shaped everything. And, and I remember we went to visit a school once and it looked like clinical and Mm. depressing and yucky. And I said, I don't care that my son has autism. This, if it's in preschool or kindergarten or whatever it is, it needs to look like joy because they're professional learners. They're going to be having to work extra hard to learn all of their life. We need to make Mm. it fun. I love that. So what did you find school-wise? Are your, are your boys in public? Are they, did you have them in a private school? What, did, what worked for your family? Um, this is something that changes every year. Ah, um, yes. Mm-hmm. And we can't get too comfortable with I like anything. That. <laughs> you know what I, I really mean? do. I like that. I like that you're going year by year and even kid by kid. Yep. And day by day sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, Parker just started school. He is also a life enthusiast. So he... Hmm. Um, he has the highest joys of joys and loves singing. And he calls me mom and dad or calls us mom and dad and he negotiates for pancakes. So some of those dreams that I let go of, they came back to they me. They came back. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminds me, don't, don't close the door on anything. Anything That's is good. still possible. That's good. And, uh, Grayson is, a, has a little less bounce to his step. Uh-huh. Okay. And so we're, we're doing the best we can. Um, and like I said, it's just, it's day by day. I, I think we can all agree that educators and teachers are some of the most incredible humans mm-hmm. on the planet. Sister preach. Uh, and so I focus on these amazing people who give my sons the gift of knowledge and patient, yes. patience and information and love. And most of our teachers spend more time with my kids than yes. they do their own kids. That's right. And so um, I think that the uh, system, if you will, is a little broken. I think there's some allocation of resources that need to be channeled into special education, and it's something that I advocate for. Um, But at the end of the day, we celebrate our teachers, and we're so grateful for the people who love my boys like we do. I like that. I, I like working within the system in partnership with our teachers and administrator and administrators while also putting pressure on the points that need pressure. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember, I can't tell you how much I identify with this. I remember Ooh. sitting in a room with um, my kids, teachers and our principals when they were newly in America. So we barely had English um, language acquisition was on the table and we were still deep in the throes of grief and healing and trauma. And I, um, adoption is similar. Um, teaching and parenting um, adoption-related trauma is not un- unlike some of the things you are saying. It's uh, It goes against some of our intuition. So some of the <laughs> things that you would say, this is the thing to do, is the exact wrong thing to do in that scenario. Yeah. So I remember having to say things like, don't hold her hand. And she's in kinder. She's a sweet baby. You know, they're thinking that's precious, but I'm trying to work on attachment. So I remember having to educate my teachers and my principals on what attachment-related trauma looked like. And and just, I'll never forget them sitting around that table with their notepads out, taking notes. Uh, It's so tender. It's so precious to me. And so at the same time, I'm like, I'm your girl. I will, we will work together. I will provide you any resource you need. So there's yes, something about yes. working within the system while also elevating the system at the same time to say, here are some places I think these are broken and this is what we can maybe do about it. And I'm still on your side. Um, and I think right. because of course, how you and I advocate for change for our kids, that bleeds out to everyone's kids. You know, that's what's good for ours is good for everyone. Um, and so advocacy is never, it's never wasted. 
never, never, never. And it, it's probably exponentially sentence. important um, than we even know. So back to you. Um, tell us when you started writing about your experiences. Of course, I, I key in here. My antenna goes up because I'm a writer too. So yeah. when did you, why did you decide to start writing about your experiences with the boys and your sort of motivation there? And what did those early days look like? Because it's one thing to live it. It's another thing to message it out to the world. Right, right. So my blog first started because my whole family lives in Missouri and we're in California and I wanted to be able to share stories of what was going on with just Grayson at the time. It was like the grossest writing I've ever seen. It's so cheesy. It's like hilarious when I look back on old blog posts. Oh, same. And it, it's, it's, oh, I like in Mess and Moxie, I think you talked about the rhinestone pink oh, cover. Oh, I can't. <laughs> oh, I can't. Despair. Absolute despair. See, I'm lucky I have way less readers. So only a few people saw my disgusting offering <laughs> of yes. what I thought a writer should sound like. Oh, man. Um, and so that's how it started. I believe between six and eight people read my blog. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's what it was for, though. That was it. Yeah. And so I, when I started to have that inkling, the green sweatshirt, I was pressed with this reality that we were about to become a sentence. And I had made people sentences numerous times in my life. When you're out to lunch with a friend and you say, did you hear about Susie and Tim? Oh, mm-hmm. She did. Yeah. I know they're getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's terrible. So do you want to share an appetizer? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to be a sentence. I didn't want to be like, did you hear about Chrissy Kelly? I, she has a son with autism and they think that her second son might also have autism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, no, I'm going to write the story and it's going to be so much longer than a sentence. I'm writing our story. So I started to write it. Like I, I felt like I had something to prove. In retrospect, I didn't. But writing is such a good way for me to organize my th- thoughts and my heart and to connect with others. And I think it's part of my like type A OCD-ness where my thoughts are so jumbled and constant in my head. And I need to get like a siphon and kind of like squeeze them out into something that might feel productive. Yes, I love that. Um, I of course, exactly understand that. Sometimes when I sit down to write, I'm not even sure what I think about the thing until I put my fingers on a keyboard and find it. I find the thread in the jumble and it sort of smooths out and irons out. So I'm sure at this point now, you've been writing for, you know, how long have you been writing your blog? Years, probably five years. years. That's what I thought. So um, you had to have heard back from what? Thousands, thousands and thousands of people, right? Who are inspired by your story, who are living a similar story, who have questions. I'm sure. What has that been like to now sort of handle all that feedback, good and bad? Wow. Um, So it's been amazing. And it's part of the life. Like I'm living life on a different level that I didn't know existed before. And it's much deeper and it's much messier and it's much more beautiful. And um, to hear feedback from people, you know, my favorite is just a me too from someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them, I think we realize when we share our stories that we all have so much more in common than not. Um, of course, I would say half the people that read what I write or follow our story are affected by autism in some way. Maybe they're a teacher, maybe it's their child, maybe it's their niece. Um, and those people are my family. And we share things in common that are very intimate. But I also love to hear from people because if you're going to change the world, you need to talk to people who already aren't on board. Yeah. And so I love to hear from people who 
aren't affected by autism, Mm -hmm. but they can relate to the love I feel for my boys or they can relate to the pain of being afraid you would never laugh again. Or they can... Or maybe a, a parent, I've had a lot of parents contact me, their their child came out. And so they too had to learn to edit their life and, and get rid of that first story they were expecting and really embrace the story they were given. So that when I hear someone's able to advocate easier at school or accept the life they've been given, um, that's my favorite. That's oh. just my favorite. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's yeah. so phenomenal. I what a gift. What a and to you, to the boys, to your community. I mean, really, it is so nothing thrills me more than to see all these beautiful things come out of what once upon a time felt like a pile of ashes yep. at yep. one point. And yet I love, love, love how you say to the people watching you and reading and listening, you'll laugh again. I promise you yeah. will. I mean, it's so good to throw that lifeline backwards. To, to the people who are not yet standing in the laughter, you know, who are still back holding it all going, what am I going to do? Is, is my life ruined? Are their lives ruined? Um, I, that part of your story is absolutely universal. Mm-hmm. I, and anybody listening exactly. um, can be inspired by that and moved by that. I like, um, let me just ask you one last question and we'll wrap it up here. Um, I like how you find this um, you talk about finding beauty in the in the unexpected. And and like we've mentioned, a lot of us have been blindsided by circumstances that we didn't expect. And um, but but you've hit on something really important that um, what if what if and I this is a part of my faith. So, I mean, I just believe this to my bone marrow. Mm. You know, what what if some of these these greatest struggles, these awful sorrows, these things that we did not want, we did not ask for, and we did not expect, turn out to be gifts in disguise? What if those are the very things um, that turn into gems and treasures in our lives, um, in the arc of our story? And you, you encourage people to look for beauty in the places that hurt. It's important. It's important. Can you just talk about that for one minute? Mm-hmm. Uh- I have realized through life with my boys, it's strangely the closest to God on earth I've ever felt. Um, I'm a very literal person and I really, really like things that I can like touch and hold. And and I, I've been able to touch and hold and be hugged by God because of them, because of when I see certain therapists interacting with them, because of things that have happened to our in our lives. Um, we were on the national news because my son struck up a relationship with our garbage man four years ago. And so there are things I'm talking to you right now, Jen, Mm -hmm. there are things that would not have happened in my life if it hadn't have been for autism. Mm. And I just, I can't imagine if I never would have gotten past that pain part because I would have missed out on all this part and this is the stuff that gives me the chills. This is the stuff that makes me cry because it's so beautiful. This this is the stuff, this you know? This is the stuff. This is, the stuff. This is yes. life. Yes. And it's a package deal, okay? So you can't just say, I want the good easy. You got to take it all. Right. And when I look at the whole package, I am so blessed. And I I think it's because I'm willing to see what good comes out of the pain. And one of my favorite quotes is Roger Ebert. He says, to make others less happy is a crime. To make ourselves unhappy is where all crime starts. We must try to contribute joy to the world. 
That is true no matter what our problems, our health, our circumstances. We must try. I didn't always know this, and I'm happy I lived long enough to find out. Lovely. And so that's why I look for joy, because it's why I'm here on earth. That's what Ah. God wants. Gorgeous. Bravo. This is me clapping. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. This is me bowing. (laughs) Bravo. Marvelous. I can't wait for everybody to to go to your site and to see the boys and to see what you do. You're incredibly knowledgeable um, about autism and resources and you're really good mom. Really, really good mom. I really, I applaud you. You, you stepped into a space that you weren't prepared for, but you have taken the bull by the horns Mm-hmm. And I'm like looking at your boys thinking, man, they got a good advocate in their mom. Um, Thank you. Really Thank proud you. of the way that you're parenting and the way that you're living and the way that you love them. Um, you're gonna you're gonna be an amazing inspiration to so many people listening. So let me ask you quick down and dirty questions. We ask everybody at the end of of the um, Moxie series. And so and this doesn't it can be related to what we've been talking about, but it doesn't have to be at all, and it can be serious or it can be absurd. So okay. don't. You know, it doesn't have to be precious. All right. It might be a little bit of everything. It could be all of that. It could be messy and moxie, which is my life. Um, so besides the ones that we've talked about, can you name a messy moment that you thought, I mean, this, this is may not, I may not get through this one. Um, and you sort of soldiered through and got to the other side and what did it teach you? Okay. So it is something that we touched on a little bit. Okay. Um, And it was our first year living in the Central Valley. Uh, I didn't know anyone. Uh And finding mom friends is like dating. And you have to kiss a lot of frogs. Uh. And so I have no like real friends that I can just be down and dirty with. Yeah. Um, My husband's traveling for work frequently. Uh, The stuff's going on with the boys. Uh And my family's thousands of miles away. Okay. And that was the messiest time of my life oh. as I'm trying to figure out where do we go to therapy? Where do we go to a speech? Where do we oh, do this? Yeah. What's the school districts like? I don't know who to ask even. Hmm. And that was the messiest time of my life because it's, it was, uh, it was a big lesson in beating the control freak out of me because uh-huh. absolutely hmm. every single ounce of it was out of my control. So that is absolutely one thing it taught me that you're really not in control of anything oh, except your attitude each day. And you just yeah. need to declare to Jesus, you are faithful and you will get me through today. Yes. And tomorrow let's have the same chat. Cause I'm going to forget. Okay. That's right. I'll be mad at you by tomorrow morning. So let's, <laughs> let's reevaluate and kind of come back to ground zero here. Yes. Yes. So that was the messiest. And like, I love stories that you're like, okay, so this happened and it was really bad and then it was broken and then everything was fabulous. There was no <laughs> fabulous in that story oh, for good. a period of at least six months. That's you know what honest. I mean? Yeah. It was just no silver just lining. Hard. Yeah. I always say if there's no silver lining, you should sew one in. Well, my sewing machine <laughs> was broken. So that was oh, my messy. Yeah. Yeah. But you found it. I mean, cause that's where you live and you're thriving. Mm-hmm. So you did find it. So let me ask you one last question. Um, this is a question that Barbara Brown Taylor posed once, and it can be anything at all. What is saving your life right now? Okay, so Jesus Calling, the first thing when I wake up. Before, it was Facebook and coffee and the Today Show. Ah. And it was not, it was, a, again, a nice hit, but um, not long sustaining sustenance. Hmm. So for sure, Jesus Calling the Devotional. I read that. I stretch my bones because I got bad joints. I love on my dogs because they know a lot about life that we don't know yet. 
And, um, of course, always television, because nothing makes me feel more sane than reality TV. <laughs> if, well, look how good I'm doing. I don't even want to say, but it might no, it's begin okay. with a Real Housewives and end with a place. I don't Listen, know. It's okay. <laughs> with this, that would not be the first mention of Real Housewives on this podcast. So <laughs> you are in good company. Sometimes that is okay to have an absurd little mental escape. That's fine. Oh. It, not only is it okay, it is like medically necessary. Yes. Um, and I, I like uh, to eat my feelings. Oh yeah, sure. And I'm familiar so, with the, um, I'm familiar with that approach to life. Yeah. And so uh, like literally those, oh, you know what I call it? I call it the dot. Okay. So you know, when you get like a coffee from Starbucks and it has yeah. that white lid, Uh huh. there's a little dot, a perforated dot. Okay. Uh-huh. You ever noticed it? Yeah. Okay. So that dot is what ensures that the coffee comes out of the spout and that you don't get burned and that steam is released. Okay. So that tiny dot is what I make sure I have in my life. Yes. Whatever it is at the time. Some days, yes. Some days it's a Starbucks. Some days it's a quick retail therapy or whatever it is. You just, I make time for the dot. Ah, I like that. Fabulous. Oh my gosh. I'm going to tell Brandon that. And that's also going to be my next excuse. So um, thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for talking about the boys. Thanks for being so honest about the parts that were hard and the parts that are beautiful. And they're all kind of the same. Um, And so uh, listen, everybody, everything that we talked about is going to be on my website, every, all the links, all the everything. So if you heard about it, you can find it there. Um, Chrissy, what is pleasure to meet you and to have you on here. I just enjoyed talking to you so very much. I feel like we could talk for another 10 hours. For sure. Thank you so much too for listening to my story. It's such a, it's an honor. It's a gift and I absolutely cherish it. You're welcome. Okay, everybody go to the website, get everything you need there and you will love having more Chrissy Kelly in your life. All right, sister. I like her so much. I am so, I was so glad to have that conversation with her. And I walked away from it encouraged and inspired. And it's funny because we don't have the same story, but I felt so connected to so many things that she said. And so um, I hope that that was meaningful to you and go find Chrissy. Everything that we mentioned, like I said, is going to be on my website. So go find her and follow her and learn from her. And, um, she has a ton of resources to offer you, not just if that's, if your life is affected by autism, but really just as a human being. So, um, she's fabulous. So guys, that was the, for the love of Moxie series wrap up, which I enjoyed just so very much. So amazing to be with the caliber of women that we had on the show for that series. Now, I am super, super excited to tell you about our next series coming up. And it will not surprise you if you know me at all. And of course, there's my train. You know that the train is a part of this podcast, so make your peace with it. Um, There's no getting around it, and I can't always cut. So it's just what it is. However, you know that this is something that I love. You know that it's people that I love. It's a subject that I love, and I talk about it all the time. So our next series, (laughs) For the Love of Food, of course, of course, you guys, wait until you hear some of our guests. We have got chefs and Food Network stars, and cookbook authors, and all sorts of amazing people. I mean, you are going to love it. Um, it's it's going to be fun and interesting. You don't even have to like food, you guys. We will talk about all sorts of things around the table, hospitality, community, um, 
hosting when you're not a cook, everything, it's all going to be in there. And plus these people are delightful. <laughs> I mean, absolutely delightful. So you're not going to want to miss next week when we kick off for the love of food. As always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your feedback. We've learned so much from your responses. Um, thank you for letting us know what you'd love to see and what you'd love to hear. We are paying attention and we are listening as, as we sort of craft the future of the podcast for the next six months to a year. So anyway, um, love having you as a subscriber. Absolutely love having you as a listener. It's my joy to come to you every single week. So you guys have a great week and we'll catch you next time for For the Love of Food. Thanks for joining us today on the For the Love podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down again with Jen and friends to chat about all the things we love. We love you, our listeners. So we want to be sure you subscribe to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker via iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss a thing. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review. To become a part of Jen's online community, visit jenhatmaker.com and sign up for her newsletter. It's full of all the things you love, including free stuff. We love free stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next time on For the Love with Jen Hatmaker.